so while I was working the other day, uh, Brandy was in the other room watching The Bachelor, and she like very loudly like kind of, ugh, I think this guy's just there to make out with a bunch of women. <laughs> and it was the most earnest, like... Santa Claus is not real <laughs> discovery of her life. To be clear, what season of The Bachelor is this? Like 734. <laughs> and I stopped for a moment and looked up from my computer and I said, what do you think the rest of them were doing? She was like, I don't know, but this guy. Are we cheersing to the sheer childlike innocence of your wife? We're, we're cheersing <laughs> to the ripping, the apparent ripping off of the mask. That is whatever this Bachelor is. The veil has lifted. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, welcome to the real dicks. <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer. And this is the Mix Six, where we drink six beers, have six conversations, and that's pretty much the whole gist that's, of it. There's not, it. There's not much else There's a that. period at I the mean, end of that sentence. Not even an exclamation point. Yeah, you're listening to us, so Someday hopefully the like content's good, because like, ugh, ugh, the voice. We'll mm. see. Mm. Yeah. But if you've made it this far, congrats on your endurance. And if you've made it this far, you know what we do here. And mm-hmm. what we do here is we try a different beer per segment. We mm-hmm. rate that beer on a 5-point scale, yep. and then we talk about something generally unrelated to the beer. So we got a we got a rating system of course, Man, and we also we. have a theme this episode. I'm really excited about both. So it's all stouts all day cuz it is cold AF outside. I got in my car this morning and it said negative one on the thermostat and I almost went back in my house. It's the type of weather right here now that uh, involves drinking alcohol to survive. That's right. For caloric content. Um, and the illusion of warmth. I went, so I went to that's the what bank. I go to a stout for. I went to the bank today and tried to roll my window down in the drive-thru and it wouldn't work so I had to open my door. <laughs> and the bank teller was like, are, are you okay? I was like, ma'am. <laughs> Come on. Um, So it's all stouts all day, and we'll be reviewing those stouts on a five-point scale based on characters on sci-fi's The Magician. I'm so glad you're hooked. I'm so glad you're in now. I'm super hooked. In the same way that someone someone gets hooked on pneumonia. Like, (laughs) pneumonia hooks you, guys. Uh, No, I have like half an episode left in season one. Oh, God, it's so bad. Shout out to Andrew Baswell for pushing this agenda for some time now. Yeah, it's not a good show. But... And I also know that, like, when we recorded something about books a year-ish ago, I made, like, a plea that I kind of enjoyed the first series of The Magicians, or at least the first book, and I was summarily just roasted for that. There are quite, yeah, there are quite a few of our fans who absolutely hate the book, and yeah. here's the thing, I, a, a hypothesis I'm not going to test. I don't think you hate it more than I hate the show. Bingo. But uh, I am never going to test the hypothesis because yeah. I'm not going to read a book that's half as bad as that show. It's, um, it, well, I do love to hate it. Though. Another way of looking at it is twice as good. Um, <laughs> so anyways, we're going to do characters on the magicians. As you know, it's a five-point rating scale. A five is the this best is beer. This is the series depiction right. of said character. That's right. Not the book. The series. A yeah. five is the best beer you've ever had. A one is the worst beer that you've ever had. So we'll start with our ones. These are beers that are wrong in all the wrong ways. Mm-hmm. It's Quentin Coldwater. Yeah. Who is wrong in all the wrong ways and then gets more wrong by the continued unflinching assertion that he is a protagonist. That's right. And I just don't understand why. No. He's not an anti-hero. He's not even like 
a protagonist in like the dickish anime sense and no. that he's going to have a turnaround. He's just the worst. He is an attempt at a sympathetic hero who couldn't be less sympathetic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're just awful? Don't care. <laughs> yes. Uh, it, it is really a flaccid attempt at what Harry Potter, I think, achieved. And it's going poorly. Flaccid is an ironic term to use for anything in this show. That's true. Because it's really just about sex. Most sex obsessed show I've ever seen. It's weird. Um, A two, so a beer that's wrong, but not in all the wrong ways necessarily. A beer that you wouldn't want to go back to. Julia. Yeah. Um, Is this Hedgewitch? Yes. This is Hedgewitch. This is Quentin's lifelong friend with, uh, you know, who he had a crush on and who has since gone down a separate, like, B plot path. Yeah. To learn magic on her own, and who has done such... Ironic, because every plot's a B-plot in Magicians. Totally true. (laughs) She's done such unlikable things, and yet we are still supposed to believe that somewhere there's a turn coming where it's not unlikable anymore. Fuck that, when ostensibly the main or mainish characters of your series are that unlikable. Congratulations, honestly. I mean, that's all I can say (laughs) to you. You did something. Yeah. A three. Run-of-the-mill, standard bearer for beer. You got what you were looking for. And this one's a little counterintuitive. I think Penny is the most, like, average, normal, okay member of that show. He says things you want to say to all of the shitty characters. Right, exactly. But he does so while, like, wearing a shirt that is open to his navel. Right. It's not a and, shirt. And, and, and yeah, it's, it's not doing what shirts do. Right. And standing in, like, a fan for a photo shoot and then, like, trying to tell people about you know, how ironic and, uh, you know, unaware of themselves they are yeah. while wearing, like, tattoos and jewelry from no less than eight different ethnic cultures. That's right. And, yeah, he, he's he's so bad in so many different directions, it sort of cancels out. It's like the Mr. Burns, like, all the diseases get stuck in the door on yeah, Penny. right. And you're just kind of left with a character, yeah. Penny doesn't have enough time for all the angst and all the cologne. Yeah. So it's like, well, what do I do? Also, Penny couldn't be more different from the character in the book. And so I am, I, I want to draw a distinction. This is about the show, not the book. Yeah. Um, number four. So this is a good beer. M- maybe even a great beer on some days. Something that you seek out but doesn't break beer for you. And in any other instance, this would be a five. But a four in this case is Elliot. And Elliot is why I watch that show. Absolutely unfucking believable. Season good. two's B plot of Flaming Queen Rules Narnia is a show I would make appointments to watch. Mm-hmm. We would have nights. There would be popcorn and themed dishes. Yes. It is I, I want I want every part of the show to be uh Elliot ruling filigree. Uh he is he is his own uh riff tracks. Like, yes. For all of the mundane like whining that happens in the first season Elliot is just sass on top of yes. all of it and how ridiculous it it is and that's what that's what one needs in yeah. that season. But it, but in season 2 he has an arc in which he must right. do things. And I'm super uh, excited for that if I'm yeah. being totally honest with you. Yeah. And then a 5 here, deep cut, got to be honest, a 5 here and if you've not seen the show I apologize this will not make sense. <laughs> but something that breaks the show in the right way as a 5 beer would. A 5 is the foxes. Yeah, talk about a representative anecdote. Uh, there is no scene in any television show that sums up the entirety of the television show. That's right. More than the fox scene and the magicians. To be clear, um, now there's a certain subset of people that liked the Animorphs books a lot and it did something wrong to their brain and they perhaps wrote fan fiction about having sex as perhaps. animals. Right. And the magicians looked at that fan fiction. They said, what if that was the main 
primary turning point, not only for this episode, but the emotional turning point for our entire first season. And so the two, you know, love interest characters turn into foxes and have sex. And you can see them scampering around in the snow being soft foxes kind before of they have Yeah. Yeah. And that is supposed to be like the heartwarming moment that drives the crew together and assembles them into a team to fight darkness. It even it even comes up later as a reference point when those same two characters are having some problems having sex. One of them apologizes for not being a fox. Yes. Um, That's a thing. Yeah, it comes back multiple times. It'd be like, you know, the Mines of Moria in Middle-Earth, except it's two foxes having sex. And, uh, yeah, that, that is the... That. That is that is the magician. That is the subtitle to the magicians, <laughs> like the Mines of Moria, except two foxes. Have, you're welcome. It sci-fi. what brings them together as a as a fellowship. You can um, send your royalty check too. Polyamorous foxes. So that's how we'll be reviewing beer today. Um, enjoy this episode, people. I know we will. Uh, and on that note, we're going to grab beer. We're going to grab a dissecting our fun topic, and we'll be right back. What's that beer? I'm going to drink uh, Brooklyn Brewing Company's Black Chocolate Stout, which is apparently, according to them, the legendary Russian Imperial Stout. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, bottled winter 2017, so reasonably should be good. Reasonably yeah. fresh. Uh, still Consumed water- winter 2018. Is this That's a local purchase, that. or is this gifted to us by someone? I think I think you may have bought that. Yeah, yeah, I did buy this. Yeah. Um, it is a penny. It's a three, so... Yeah, it's a Russian Imperial Stout for certain, and the chocolate sort of undermines that. Mm-hmm. But the Russian Imperial Stout part is also too hard in the paint to really give it the chocolate stout sweetness. So it just sort of uh, confuses itself down to a three, despite being pretty good at both. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is great at neither. So that's a that's a nice assessment. Yeah, he's drinking it now. Yeah, I wanted to get it. Nope. I... Woo, man. Yeah, right. kinda, and a little high on the alcohol content. That's a ten percent for it. Yeah. Some bitch. I, yeah, yeah. I tasted every ounce of yeah. that. So uh-huh. it's our first segment. If you've listened to this before, you know that our first segment is dissecting our fun, where we talk yeah. about a board game, board game things, board game concepts. Who knows? It's board game related. Yeah. And today, slightly different take. Um, cumulatively, collectively, we have purchased a number of board games. Yeah. In the last six weeks or so. Mm-hmm. And um, the question today is, what do you look for in a game review? Because generally, I read the shit out of reviews before I invest in a board game. Occasionally, I'll one-off. Just like, oh, hey, look, a game that looks fun and interesting, and I like the theme. Yeah. Here's $60, whoever. But by and large, I read the shit out of reviews, and I talk to as many people as I can before I buy a game. So the question is, what are you looking for in that stuff? Mm-hmm. What's the thing that gets you to say yes? And maybe what's the thing that gets you to say no? Yeah. Which is probably equally important. I'll let you start. Uh, I am uh, keen to read them. I also watch them, which is, I do too. you know, things I wish I'd done in my youth, which is uh, have board games in college because I realize they're a thing that you can do that both drinks but involves none of the activities I hated around drinking that occurred in college. Yep. Whew, that probably would have made my GPA very different had we discovered board games when we were undergrads. Um yeah, but the other that. thing I wish is like, man, I wish I got on the ground floor at YouTube of like board game reviews and how to plays. Totally, because damn, I would love to do that. But there are some people out there who are doing it fantastically. Yes, but I still think there's a version of the mixed six where we drink as much as we possibly can, <laughs> and then try to explain <laughs> not easy games, but like in depth games, like scythe. 
Like, just get bombed and then try to explain Scythe. <laughs> Thailand Imperium for the Take 37. I think... I think All right, so there's Space Lions. I think like a it, multi-part series on Twilight Imperium. Yes. I honestly think it might be the best work we've ever done. I, I don't know. I mean, we'll put it on a poll. Would you guys watch it, I guess, is what I'm asking. All right. I don't know. Well, um, things I can do while I'm teaching. Sure. Because not that. Um, <laughs> anyway, I wanted to say that the, a lot of great reviews are uh, actual, you know, basically video essays yes. at this point. Yeah. Um, so things I look for are... Uh, enthusiasm, especially if it is a review source I see often. So, like, I can sort of pull back on this if it's a review on uh, random, like, Board Game Geek. But if it's somebody who's reviewing board games professionally, and there's quite a few outlets for this now, yep. certainly more than like reviewing RPGs professionally and things like that. Um, th- enthusiasm speaks wonders because these people get pretty jaded pretty fast. Uh, especially when they learn to talk about games and like recurring game mechanics. And so if something sets people on fire, um, I'm really interested in it. So for instance, I got sold on a game last night because I was watching um, Sit Up and Shut uh, Shut Up and Sit Down. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were doing a review of uh, Captain Sonar, which is a, like an eight-person, which I don't know how I'd ever play it, mm-hmm. um, real-time, which sounds awful. I don't like any Hidden movement game. Okay, no. um, but... I'm busy. (laughs) I understand that. But I was watching it, and he was really excited because it does work, according to him, and he's never seen it work that way. And so whenever they're like, oh, I didn't know a game could do this, Mm -hmm. like, and when they get freaked out about that. No one had ever seen an atomic bomb work either. I just want to be clear about that. (laughs) We haven't played it yet. So, Uh like, it's not a review of Captain Sonar. Right. Uh, But, like, I do love, like, that makes me want to play a game more than anything else. Totally agree. Oh, this is different. Like, or, like, when it's, like, potion explosions, like, it uses marbles. Yep. And then I'm reading reviews, it's like, guys, it uses marbles. The marbles make a noise. Yeah, and, and, uh, like, I'm like, well, and, and that'll get me to like, I'll try it out. And then I'm usually, but every time I've done that, I'm usually like, oh, no, I love this. Like, oh, yeah, that's, or like, I play it, and if I don't love it, I'm really glad I played it. Because yep. I didn't know that, like, that was a mechanic you could use. So uh, enthusiasm and, like, uh, especially from someone who does a ton of reviews, is probably the most motivating thing for me. If they can get really into it. Um, that is uh, something that really gets me uh, excited to go after. Along the same lines, and a thing that you've mentioned as a cause of enthusiasm, if 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 a review can point to point me to some mechanical, conceptual, thematic thing, which takes a standard trope and uses it in an interesting way or pushes it beyond what I've seen before, which is a thing for you that probably causes enthusiasm amongst reviewers. Yeah. If you can show me that this is like X, but it's like X on steroids, or this is like, you think this is like X, but it's actually like purple, mm-hmm. I'm very interested in that. I, I'm very interested in things that can create nuanced, meaningful distinctions between games I've played and why this makes it feel like it's not just another worker placement game yeah, or yeah. resource management game. Um, so I'm really interested in the, in the, in the thematic or mechanical stuff. Uh, the other thing I'm looking to pick what I will listen to is can you condense the mechanics down in a way to give me a sense of them? Yeah. Because the flip side of that is either like I like it a lot, no idea what type of game it is, which is not great. And then the other side, which is almost worse for me, is I'll explain the core mechanic to you and then every sub-mechanic possible sure which i'm looking for in a how to play video or i'm looking for in the rules book but i'm not looking for into should i buy it which is like right and then if you have two space lions versus a space crawdad on the 18th space 
with the moon in its half face, right. you're going to break out the you know special negotiation tracker, and then you're going to do this, and, and I'm like. I don't need to know every individual subcase unless it breaks, and then you can mention that. But you have to condense it down with, like, what is the core activity? What's the core gameplay loop? Yep. So I have an idea of what I'm getting into, and then don't break it down into every single ed- subsystem. Please don't. Yeah. yeah. Because then I'm just going to uh, – well, now I don't know. Now right? I'm just lost yeah. in it because I have no context for what you're explaining in the first place. Yes. And so the, you know, the black hole of I context. wanted you to explain enough to get me context, and then explaining more loses it. That's right. Yeah. I'll actually take that a step, ter- a step further. If you can't show me a reasonable, stereotypical maybe even turn – uh, I'm I'm a little bit out. I want to see the game act a little bit and showing me just a turn or a mode of interaction so I know what I'm getting into and I can go, oh yeah, yeah it would be fun to participate in whatever that thing is. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't want to read about the mechanics of a turn nearly as much as I want to see a turn happen. So show me the fucking game playing. Yeah. Which is maybe what you're saying, just more tangibly. Yeah. Um, another thing I want is you need to mention the theme and the art. Um, it could be the main part of your review, but I find that any review that leaves it out, I call it like Alexa reviews games. Right. Yep. Like it's like many paths to victory are suboptimal. Right. Like, and it becomes like hardcore game theory, board game wonk. Like these two paths are optimal for victory mm-hmm. and this is that. And they don't talk about like interaction of the table or the narrative that's being brewed, sure. or anything like that, that drives me nuts. And there's a ton of those out there. And yes. I'm just like, as if games have themes as an afterthought, and right. not like the primary means of right. interaction at what the table. What if the game was for fun? <clears throat> and I'm not saying like you can't review an abstract game. Like, don't talk about the theme when I play numbers, or, or something like that. Like, uh, But you do have to talk about the theme in cases where it's like, I don't know, Kingdom Death, another uh, shut-up-and-sit-down review, which is like, well, the game mechanics are kind of mad, but it does some kind of things interestingly. But also, it's covered with naked women getting disemboweled, and it's really problematic to play for the art style. Like, Uh mention that. Like, mention if the theme's messed up, or mention if the theme's really cool. Sure. Or if you kind of role-play while you're... See our review of the game. Yeah, yeah. Or or if you kind of role-play, like, as you're doing it... Against your best wishes. Like, if, like, sort of the narrative of it is strong enough that you sort of start acting in character, how my character would do it. Mention that. That's great about character interaction. Or if there's there's a meta to the game, if there's, like, a negotiation mechanic that takes place off the table and is unstructured by rules, or if it is structured by rules, tell me what is in in character and out of character. Totally agree. Because, like... Humans make meaning, we make narratives, and that's part of the reason many people enjoy games. It's not, you know, just number meeple simulators. Right, no. Uh, and I know some people want it that way, and I'm not one of them. Yeah, so I'm not in for the competitive You've got to mention, like, what the story is, what the basic, you know, setup is, that kind of stuff. So, like, I looked at another hidden movement game called Specter Ops, and I was looking at all that kind of stuff, and I couldn't decide, like, well, it's got individual variable player powers, and you move around, the board's interesting, with limited sight lines, and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And, like, I read a review that's like, I don't know why i'm specter opposite mm. I, I know there's an agent mm-hmm. i don't know what he's trying to steal or do yeah i don't know why there's a werewolf or why they're hunting an agent or where it's set in what world or why because they wanted to make the book small and i'm like 
I don't I don't want to do that. Fuck that. I'll play Letters from Whitechapel and I'll hunt Jack the Ripper and it'll That's be right. cool. That's like right. I'll play Fury for Dracula and I'll like hunt fucking Dracula and I know yeah. that one like like it, that's interesting like the other stuff I'm just like uh, I have like, played some garbage games mechanically because I enjoyed them thematically or conceptually oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, but if you don't give me that and that yeah, I don't as, know how to buy it yeah. that is as much a part of the bit to me in some cases especially after I've had a few drinks sometimes more of the bit and I'll, and I'll buy a game on theme alone sure but that's when I need you to like give me the core gameplay mechanic so I know if I'm going to like it or not yep. and without every single individual part of it yeah um, so what we'd ask you to do now is not apply everything we just said to every game we've reviewed on here. That would be great. Yeah. Maybe we did it. Maybe we didn't. Um, times are different than people. In our defense, we're drunk. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? That. Just that. <laughs> uh, and speaking of that, we're going to grab more beer and we're going to grab more shit to talk about. See you in a second. Hey, Spencer, what are you drinking? Uh, From our friends at Bell's Brewing, Mm -hmm. uh, and shout out to the Good Brews, Bad Views guys, who are big Bell's fans, and I think are sitting on just boxes of Hop Slam, you assholes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is the Kalamazoo Stout. It's their stout brewed with brewer's licorice. Uh, Full disclosure, I've had this beer before. This beer is really drinkable to me, especially for a stout, and I like that it's 6%. I can get all of the stout flavor and none of the stout blech. Uh, this is a four. It's an Elliot for me. Um, I don't know if you guys want to give it a uh, go. I'm not a licorice fan most of the time. Uh, it doesn't. There's nothing about it that goes, oh, that tastes like Jaeger. Well, what kind, it's not black licorice, right? right? It's oh, brewer. Yeah, it doesn't really peek through. Brewer's I think it's licorice. a three for me, but I like it. Yeah. It's brewer's licorice. I don't know if that's somewhere between black and like... Of course, like, my, I could, my palate could Twizzlers. be ruined by this Russian imperial. I fucking know. Um, that's real drinkable to me, though. So Yeah, yeah I like that. Yeah. It's definitely a good stout. Yeah, I agree. Kudos to Bells. And while I'm drinking this and Caleb chokes down the rest of that there... It's a three. Russian Imperial, though. It's fine. It's not um, a choker. We're into armchair director. Full disclosure, I was just like jonesing to talk about this this morning, so I made a show <laughs> note. How'd you get this idea? Okay. Full. Okay. Um, <laughs> on my desk at work, I set action figures from my childhood. Occasionally, just to remind myself that I am enjoying what I'm doing. <laughs> And so, like, in front of my computer, there's, Next like... Next to your hang-in-there-kitty poster? Yeah. yeah. There's, there's, like, a little, like, Batman figurine from, like, 1980-something and a Robin figurine from 1980-something and, and an Ecto-1. Um, and so this morning, I was kind of, like, thinking about... It was also super early, and I was not totally caffeinated yet. I was thinking about things from my childhood, and I thought, wait a minute. I want to talk about this. And this, in that instance, you get a chance... To recast the director for each of the three live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies from our childhood. But you can't change the plot of any of the films, and you have to pick a different director for each film. God, this is a crazy hypothetical. I know. It's well, crazy. they picked a different director for each film, as is. You really did. They played this game already. We're, they, just, we're just going a replay. They it. really... This was a Russian roulette of directors for <laughs> yeah. them, and things got weird. So, uh, I see that you've unveiled your list, as am I now. So, we'll work from film one to film three. <laughs> <laughs> I assume you just saw my responses. Uh, you have to stick with the theme of the film. So Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the first, which is one of the most oddly depressing movies in the history of movies. In the tub, in, Raphael in the, the tub, tub, Raphael and April O'Neil, who is just despondent uh, over his health. 
Um, for, and just a man who goes around the streets beating people up with hockey sticks. That's right. That's right. For a film about turtles turned into teenage <laughs> mutant ninjas by some contraption, which we learned about in the second film, TBD. Yeah. Uh, it was it was the most serious movie ever made. So I'll let you jump in first. Uh, so I'm going to go uh, out with Steve Barron. I like the, that you looked up the, the original, original director. Well, I got to respect their work. It's no. like here's the thing. Here's here's the sneaky hard part of this. I don't dislike most of these movies. No, well the third one's bad. Well, yeah, the third one's obviously bad. But like changing changing one is like yeah. would you like to destroy a part of your childhood? I don't, I would I really wouldn't. It's kind of a Sophie's choice here. Sure. So I thought Steve Barron did a great job. Like uh but I would rather see a John G Avidson take yeah. who made Rocky 4, the best Rocky, and The Karate Kid. So look, if I need a film that is going to be the fulfillment of all my childhood fight fantasies, yeah. uh, as the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle live action is, um, I want a man who can do it right. The Karate Kid, he already did it right. And Rocky IV, he already did it right again because he beat Russia with his fists. And there was also an adorable robot. Um, so... I feel like the parts of the film that I didn't really get as a kid, because I'm like, I want this to still be a staple in my childhood sure. upbringing, in this alternate history where Steve Barron isn't given the job he was born to have. Um, I still wanted to do what it did before, and I think it could do that. Like, I, okay, maybe Raphael's not in the tub, and maybe there's an adorable robot in that country farmhouse. Uh, I, I, I don't know, but like, I still think you'd get the you know fighty turtle aspect of it. It might be a little bit more nationalistic, but I mean, okay, the turtles are from New York. I I so where I th- I think that the film you've just described your spot on i think the difference is in tone here i don't think of the first teenage mutant ninja turtles as the fulfillment of all of my childhood fight dreams that for me is the second film secret of the use okay i owned every turtle toy so the fact that they made a live action turtle movie was in and itself a milestone okay. for my upbringing. yeah that's it was fair. a validation of everything that occurred in my imagination but the second one was a big pizza hut campaign and they oh no i got i got tapes. i got a great pizza i got a great pick for two okay but right. it's john g avilson yeah avidson for the uh so for the first from the film you're describing which I think sounds great, is for me Secrets of the Use, the second film. Toka, Razor, all that stuff. I mean, Shredder, Hard in the Paint, uh, fucking, fucking Vanilla Ice, okay? But the first film, the first film really, really leans on that depression crutch. I mean, it feels like a noir at, at, a, <laughs> at a minimum at times, especially when, like, Leonardo is, like, out there. Yeah, yeah, but how do you get out of the depression crutch in a Rocky film? You train on a farm in, in I, just a rock- need, I just need more training montages in the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Okay, what or I'm saying. how else do you get out of the depression in a like turn of the eighties, early nineties film? Get a machine gun and kill mutants, <laughs> which is why I want John Carpenter to direct the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Do you film. know how fucking nightmarish the turtles would look? Imagine it: John Bernthal as Casey Jones, uh, just gunning people down. Uh, we would never, we would never even believe. Like, the, what's the guy, for, what's the guy who did the effect for Dawn for the Dead? Uh, uh, Tom. Tom Savini? Yeah, Tom Savini would yeah. do yeah. the fucking turtle costumes. That's right. And that's what you want to see. Yes. Well, Carpenter can do straight up action. I mean, he did, you know, uh, Big Trouble in Little. Uh, Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. Wait a minute. We are not going to debate the merits of John Carpenter. No, no, no. I'm no, saying no. he could do I more than just I just don't think horror. it's okay. good for kids. Yeah. 
And you thought the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film was? Better than a John Carpenter take? (laughs) Caleb, the the fourth act of that film is Prozac-inducing. Like, (laughs) this is, at a minimum, like, I I just, I want to own that, and I want to put it in a setting where it's no longer depressing. Hey, it was true to the original Eastman and Laird comics. Yes, I agree, and I don't yeah. want those. Whoa! <laughs> I want the Ninja Turtles of my action figure. Are you childhood. an RG Comics fan? No. Yeah. Uh, well, I, well, okay. Um, right. I want I want the Ninja Turtles of my of my action figure childhood. I yeah. want I want the the fucking van that drives around and shoots pizzas out of it. But that's not what the first film is. <laughs> the first film is a Snake Plissken escape from the sewers. That's what we could call it, <laughs> escape from the sewers, where they come into the world. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here, but someone capture this and direct it. Um, <laughs> They escape from the sewers. They rise to the top of some very tall building. Um, Splinter is played by uh, Andy Serkis. Um, I, I'm just spitballing here, but I, I feel... I also can't think of anything John Carpenter would hate to direct more <laughs> than Ghost, a, Ghost of Mars. Than, than Mars. a toy movie adaptation. I don't know. I've seen some of that stuff. Okay, at so, this point, I think you'd be like, I don't give a fuck. I'll right. do it. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not. He, did you watch Escape okay, from so LA? Okay, so here's how I did my list. Yeah. I did my list with directors who could have got the job at the time period the movie was made. Oh, geez. Which is uh, a condition that you added. I want to be clear. Well, it was a weird hypothetical, man. Like, we also can't change the plot. It could be are a you, remake. Are you, you, are you about to take at issue the notion of weird hypotheticals no, on this podcast? No, I'm not. I'm just saying. I'm just have saying. Have you been here for any of this? I don't think John is into it at that point okay. in his life. Okay. Okay. Cool. Keep All making right. assumptions. What'd you All do right. for number two? Assumer. Okay. Uh, out with Michael Pressman, uh, who deserves credit for making Secret of the Secret Ooze. of the Ooze is phenomenal. Yeah. It is at Ernie Reyes Jr. plays Kino, the pizza delivery man. They fight using like strung together sausages as nunchucks <laughs> in an underground fight scene with the Foot Clan that is to this day one of the defining kung fu scenes in the history of America for me. <laughs> So I'm not taking issue with the direction of Secrets of the Forget Earth. Bruce Lee. Right, right. No, it is... That's absolutely right. It is like Enter the Dragon, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, everything else ever made. Okay, uh, well, that bombast aside, here's the thing that I have a problem with Secret of the Ooze. It does spectacle well, and it certainly did the toys well. So you need someone who's going to sell out to the turtle ethos, yep, okay? Yep. And uh, But here's the thing. It also has this weird obsession with hip-hop culture. It does. That couldn't be more white. And I don't think it was healthy for my first introduction to be hip-hop to be Vanilla Ice, frankly, was... very much. I think I would have been a lot cooler in high school. I think it would have been a lot more woke earlier had my first exposure to hip-hop not been go ninja, go ninja, go. Mm, maybe. Um, so here's here's my take. You need someone who will sell out to the sell- spectacle of like Bebop and Rocksteady being in the movie, okay? You need them to toy pimp it out, all right? But you also need someone who wants to set it in the street a bit more authentically than Vanilla Ice. I'm going with John Singleton. No, that's a good pick. All right? Boys for the Hood is out by now. He's seeking work. He has done some awful Awful commercial shit. Shaft, too fast, too furious. He has he is not allergic to money or getting money no. from Hasbro or yeah. whoever is making uh, Mattel, I guess, making uh, Ninja Ninja Turtle toys. He will do the Bebop and Rocksteady, but there will be a much better rapper. I agree in the Vanilla Ice scene no, and I'm a much you. better rap song about turtles. Um, well, and, I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, go Ninja, Go Ninja, Go is. I mean, it's easy to remember in the annals of American music. <laughs> Top three? <laughs> Top two? Wow. Well, 
Secret of the Ooze is up there in a lot of categories. Name a better rap song about turtles than (laughs) Go Ninja, Go Ninja, Go. (laughs) Think on it. Fair enough. I'm waiting. Uh, But I think John Singleton would take that job, and he was looking for work. I think it's a sneaky good pick. Uh, Number two for me, and again, I did not bind myself to this directors of the time. I'm looking for someone who understands costuming, like who can take a ridiculous character sketch like Toka and Razor is what they're called. Yeah. Uh, Shredder even, who kind of like gets downplay. Shredder's smaller than life in, in the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles live action films, which is always a bummer to me because Shredder And was, in Michael Bay, he's a Transformer. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here's the other thing. I wouldn't know. I've not watched either of the Michael Bay films, which is weird. It feels like something I would have done just Yeah, I'm surprised you haven't said Michael at Bay. At some point in my life. Okay. All right. I got enough the last time I, I even sneezed at Michael Bay right. on this podcast. The Turtles join and become troops. So, they fight terrorists. Okay, I get it. Yes. <laughs> 13 Hours was surprisingly good. I don't want it to be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. I'd watch it. Um, who does, like, creature comfort costumes better than Guillermo del Toro? Okay, this is a good pick. This I mean, is a good pick. I mean, I have to, yeah, that's that's actually a really inspired choice. Thank yeah. you. That's right? a good, I'll give you that one. Okay, then I'm, I'm not gonna, giving you John Carpenter, but I'll give you that. One. Well, you're wrong about both. You're wrong about that one, but you're not wrong about this <laughs> I'm wrong one. About both? No, no. God damn it, I'm drunk. Um, I think that Guillermo del Toro. Look, the whole climax of that film is four teenage mutant ninja turtles. That's what they're called, by the way. Fighting like a bird and another thing uh, who have turned into monsters. And when I watch Hellboy or the Shape of Water previews, as I've not yet made it to the Shape of Water, which is, uh, uh, frankly, a tra- tragedy in my life right yeah. now, I think It just Jesus, won't effing come to Springfield. Right. It's not like we're not going to go see it. Right. Someone who just understands that how fish to... fish isn't Christian enough for our town. No. No. Someone who understands how to bring that stuff to life, and that's what Secrets of the Use is about. Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. Okay. The third one. And, and to be clear... Any pick here is a good pick because this is where the fucking franchise goes off the rails. Oh, yeah. It's not Turtles in Time, but it is Turtles in Time. It's They go to fucking feudal Japan. It, it, it says, it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. The subtitle is The Turtles Are Back, dot, dot, dot. Right. In time. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's garbage. Yeah. They go to feudal Japan. No, it's not good. Because of some scepter to do something and fight people. So uh, here's the thing. In my directors that could have done this work... Uh, component the main thing i wanted that is that because we're not changing the plot of the film and i don't want to change the plot of the film too much because in this alternate timeline i want to grow up to be who i am and the turtles were formative and this was formative in a bad way because it was a thing that i loved that i had to admit was not very good garbage which is problematic for me because i ended up coming to love samurai films great action figures and uh uh you know all forms of you know feudal japan uh, exploitation movie uh i own the entirety lone wolf of the lone wolf and cub series for instance um so here's the thing i need this movie to traumatically destroy my childhood love for the turtles as it actually did but i needed to do it in a way that's actually memorable which it did not because it was terrible takishi mckay i want (laughs) turtles back in time in feudal japan but i I want to go fucking full 13 assassins. Leonardo disemboweled, cutting through a pile of corpses. Just, I, I, I want uh, blood and guts and nightmarish Bushido yes. coats. Good pick. I, I, I want to feel right. what Raphael actually happened to me. Taking the leap and actually committing seppuku. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. I, 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 want it to be, uh, I want it to be as destructive to my childhood joys as 3 was. But I want it to do it in a way that I will at least like be able to hold. Because right now, I remember it was bad, 
and I remember I was super disappointed in it, and I remember I didn't know how to process being super disappointed in it, and I have listed everything I remember about Turtles in Time. They go back in time for reasons. They, they wear armor. Yep. I, I have no idea. I don't know anything beyond that. It's, it is just... I, I have no, it's like it's like a loss. I've lost time. That's it's like I've suppressed the memory. I don't want to suppress the memory. Yeah. I want it to be bloody, and I want to remember it forever. And no one can scar your images in your brain quite like Takeshi Mike. So I agree. I, I actually think this was a he good would ruin it in the exact way I needed to be ruined. I, I think this is a good pick. I um, I went in a different direction here. Yours was a sentimental, emotional, developmental choice that I think you're right about. Mine was a how do I take a literal piece of shit and make it look not like a literal piece of shit. And so I was struck by Leonardo DiCaprio waking up on the distant shores of what might be Japan and stumbling into what might be Ken Watanabe's (laughs) Japanese domicile in Inception and then having a balls out gunfight in there at some point I think if I remember Inception correctly I don't think I do so you just you just want the movie to look really beautiful and have somehow more plot holes yeah what if it was still Whoa. what if it was still a garbage <laughs> film yeah but looked beautiful so Chris Nolan yeah also two other thoughts here one what if they ne- what what if the way to unruin the thing which ruined is to at the end of it go and it was all a dream, right? They never. <laughs> it was a it was a splinter fever dream. I think that counts as a change in the plot. Okay, okay, fine. Then take then take that out from the the voting mechanism, <laughs> okay. and instead let me offer this. Um, what if, uh, given Chris Nolan's just, I mean, militant like rejection of special effects, the man fucking flips a mm. semi in the Dark Knight. Mm. He that's actual- actually a special effect. You uh, do you mean CGI? CGI. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What if? He actually grows Ninja Turtles for the film. So what I'm thinking here is, like, Chris Nolan would, like, not, not let... That sounds like more like clear, a James Cameron To be thing. clear, right. that's changing the cast because replacing Corey Feldman with no, 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 an no, no, actual no, no, no. man-sized turtle abomination... You didn't let me finish. <laughs> I was going to let Corey Feldman become a Ninja Turtle. Oh, we we somehow so he invents the technology to take Ooh. Corey Feldman's consciousness, yeah. mutagen, yeah, and yeah. put it into a giant turtle. Creature. That's right. And and to be fair, you know where Corey Feldman is in life right now. He'd probably choose to be a Ninja Turtle in a Chris <laughs> Nolan film. So I feel like you've never seen the Angels in concert. I, I take no it. one can now because of this tax shit and him like avoiding publicity because he's worried about being murdered by something. Also, taste. <laughs> That's another reason you can't. I'm just go saying. To that show. Think about it. Ken Watanabe plays Splinter. He's got the perfect voice for it. He does. Cast lit- Joseph Gordon-Levitt as a turtle would be great. Yeah. I'm just thinking in the Nolan canon. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 suddenly becomes the most beautiful, ridiculous film you've ever seen. And that's better than just the most ridiculous film you've ever seen. I have three. <laughs> Jump <laughs> okay. in there. Yeah. Right. Uh, one, I think Patty Jenkins would be a good choice. Ooh, uh, Patty Jenkins. Would yeah. Right. She can do action, obviously. I, I was going to pick Patty Jenkins, but yeah. I, she didn't fit into my timeline. Secret, well, yeah, Secrets yeah. of the U's would make sense for her. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like April Neal would be a film. real character. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, two, I'm not sure if I want Garth Evans uh, for like the most brutal. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Donatello, fucking... Donatello becomes a lot cooler yeah. when he starts beating Jesus. the fuck out of people yeah. with that yeah. stick. Or or Shin Godzilla's uh, Godzilla Resurgence director uh, Hideo uh, Hideki uh, Anno. Uh, and then you get fucking really crazy with the monsters. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, and then the third one. Jordan Peele, because I don't know what it's going to oh, be man. like, but it's going to be fucking amazing. Man, he's a genius and he can do no wrong. Oh my god! <laughs> like, what if the whole thing was like uh, an actually good subtext? Like, what if it was what Bright wanted to be about the nature oh, of racism? God, I don't know if though I could watch a Jordan Peele turtle he metaphor on race. He would jump on it. He, he would. W- he would do great, but I would feel bad after watching uh, it. No, you would love it. Like, oh my god, uh, Bradley Whitford as Shredder. You can't change the cast. No, but listen. You gave me that listen, hypothetical restriction. His claws are actually just his words. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, we have to get out of the segment because nobody has lost respect for their co-hosts at all here, <laughs> and we want to keep it that way, so I'm going to get another beer. Caleb, I see that you um, you have a beer there. I have from Bent River Brewing. Mm. A uh, mm. their comp- their company, their Bent River Brewing Company, not Straight River. The Uncommon Stout. So I'm going to give that a shot right now. All right, it's a Stillwater Rule. He's taking a sip. It's got like a yellow warning label on the side, which concerns me. Oh yeah, Ooh, it's it does. A good, oh, it's a good coffee stout. Yeah. It's got, yeah. Uh, the yellow warning level just says "Get Bent." Ooh. Oh, like Bent River. Like Bent River. Got um, it. Got it, got it, got it. That comedic. is a Elliott level coffee stout. Damn. That's a good coffee stout. And I'm is not that, a coffee drinker. Is that a at four all. or a five? That's, That's four. a four. That's no, four. five was the foxes. Five is foxes, Ross. Yeah, the foxes. It's who? the foxes having sex. The foxes have sex, Ross. Less likely to watch the show. You now. don't actually see them having sex. I don't know if there's a rule against that on like television, but you they're do prancing see around in the snow though, they're, and you can tell they're, they're working up for it. Kind of like pawing at one another. God, I'm just so I can't even start the segment. I'm just so angry now. <laughs> do you want to try this? Yeah, I do want to try that. Do you want to intro this segment? I will. So, Nerdsplainer, which is your number one vote getter this week, uh, also and, a crush. Which, yeah, which is saying because uh, we had to do a speed round because I forgot to put the surveys up, and God so thank it. you. For and really you were rewarded that. for it. Yeah, yeah, uh, by doing a nerdsplainer. So I have to nerdsplain something to uh, our nerdsplain all least over. nerdiest of the podcast house. Some days that feels uh, like a compliment. Which is producer Ross, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to talk about uh, why nerds should stop worrying and learn to love Bollywood. That's a good beer. We need to shut it down, nerds. We need to stop talking about like DC versus Marvel or what's happening in the Marvel universe or any of that superhero blockbuster shit. And we need to start talking about Bollywood because it's doing everything we want in a film more courageously and bigger. My limited experience here suggests that there is not a... um a production universe which commits to the bit more than Bollywood. Yes, exactly. And he, here's the thing. I have a limited experience as well. Like, And we're talking like a handful of films I've seen in the Bollywood canon. And yet I've never been disappointed. Right. So that, that's something. To be clear, this is not going to be a film lecture about the you know intricacies of Bollywood and the history and how it... Because we don't know that. And how it engages with like you know British colonialism and shit like that. There are some great resources for that. I'm beginning to investigate them. But what I do know is that you should be interested for the same reason I'm interested in that um, I have gone to many 
blockbuster superhero movies or blockbuster movies in general uh, from the mainstream Hollywood machine. And as ticket sales are showing, left be going thinking, yeah, that was a movie. If not vaguely disappointed, just kind of meh about the whole thing, even though they changed huge CGI set pieces that were ridiculous. But um, I have never left a Bollywood screening in my house where I have not thought about that film for weeks on end and how utterly ridiculous it was <laughs> that, that in, in all the best way. It's yeah. like a pretty good, like pretty yeah. strong selling point. Yeah. So here are my reasons why everyone, and Spencer included, because some of these are on Netflix, Rock me like a should be watching some Bollywood in their free time. Uh, the latest one we watched, by the way, is the entire thing is on YouTube for some reason. Uh, Bala... Um, yeah, I just God, I can't wait to, for this. That is a cut. problem. That uh, is a problem with I Bollywood. I cannot movies. wait for this you super cut of pronouncing people, it with your dumb white I, tongue. Trying to say I, I believe it is Bahu uh, Bali Two: The Conclusion. We watched the Bahu sequel Bali before two, the beginning, which is Bahu pretty Bahu common Bali. in Bollywood because yeah. their sequels are frequent and insane. Okay, there, so no, just I'm. I want to. I want to say this now because the out of context cut of just this segment is going to make at least one of us sound like a racist asshole <laughs> trying to say Bollywood film titles. It's not. I'm We're, an ignorant asshole. There we go. That is in all of their film industry. Yeah. So um, just jump back in there. So uh, Bollywood has a wide variety of genres, so you can find any type of film you want there in actually, there. I've actually seen some really good, like, uh, well, I don't know if it's Bollywood specifically, but Indian art movies. Like, Yes, there are yeah. good Indian art movies. There are some uh, pretty good romantic comedies mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, hold up or surpass many Hollywood counterparts in terms of romantic comedies and comedy. Uh, they, uh, But they typically, uh, no matter what genre a Bollywood movie is, it, it, it is not using that as a limiting factor by any means. Uh, a Bollywood film will go outside genre whenever the hell it feels like, as far as I can tell. Uh, you you want your realistic that. police thriller? He suddenly has superpowers. You want your horror movie? Now there's a dance number. Like, it, it, is, uh, it is not genre beholding, but it does commit to the blockbuster bit in that we are here for spectacle and production value harder than any U.S. film has ever had the balls to commit to it. The ballsy would? Uh, yes. Oh, no. You want to sound racist, say ballsy would. That would be awful. Um, awesome point, though? No. Okay. No awesome point. Yep. Uh, so here's the thing. If you were a time traveler or an archaeologist, you were looking at the films of today, you would think that people want remakes, and that's all they ever want to see ever again. Bollywood has you fucking covered. They love a good remake. Would you like to see It, whether nope. instead of in a sewer, because they can't afford a sewer, the nope. clown is floating in a suburban pool? Nope. You can see that in Bollywood. Uh, um, you are objectively wrong, Spencer. I don't want to see that. Yeah. There is a remake of the film Commando. That also combines the plot of Commando with Romancing the Stone and American Ninja. That makes sense. Uh, which, if you're going to have a remake, why not have a mashup remake? Something that Hollywood doesn't have the vision to see. Uh, and then if you just want straight remakes of other cultures, they have ten versions of the complete Godfather trilogy. I'm not talking about ten versions of the first Godfather movie. They have ten separate remakes of the full trilogy of the Godfather. Which would be 30 Godfather films. <laughs> yes, it is 30 Godfather films. And 10. Uh, so you want so to remake... one of those has to be better than the actual Godfather 3. <laughs> Statistically speaking... Statistically, the majority of them yeah, have yeah, to yeah. be. I've not seen any of the Godfather uh, films. Yeah. You can drop that bomb. Well, okay. the third one is bad. <laughs> it is. Not great. Uh, so... 
Here's the other thing. More movie for your buck. So people complain about how expensive movie theaters are and the popcorn and whatnot. You know what? You don't say that if it's four hours long. And there is no such thing as a Bollywood short movie. Like, you watch a Bollywood movie, that's two nights easy if you have a normal oh. human attention span. Uh, you're going to have to split that thing up. But you're probably not watching it in a Bollywood theater. You're probably watching it at home on streaming or on YouTube. That's true. So you can split that up. You're yeah. getting a lot of bang for your buck Take for a movie. Break. Uh, it is whimsical insanity without the tiresome grittiness. I like so, this. Um, in Singham, a uh, film in which a, cur- a police officer cures police corruption with more police corruption, he stops a man who stole a purse uh, on a moped by ripping a lamppost out from from the sidewalk and Brilliant. hitting him with it. Um, to be clear, he doesn't have superpowers. Awesome. It is just said. Uh, in Bahubali, uh, he stops an invasion by um, causing a water buffalo stampede, then setting those water buffaloes on fire, and then surfing those water buffaloes into the enemy force while wielding both a sword and a bow. And like you don't Gotta know, tame the water you don't know you want to see that until you see it, and then it's all you want to see. Sure, it is all of the insanity of a Hollywood blockbuster. Only it accepts its melodrama, which is my next point. It's melodrama without Shane. So you want to see Iron Man fight Captain America? Where should we do it? How about a drab Soviet bunker? Okay, uh, you want to see the king fight his former mentor who's betrayed him? Where should we do it? How about a giant tree with a forest on fire in the background as the men they've slain in a battle lament in front of them while the most dramatic music plays forever? Everything is Wagnerian. Everything is enormous and huge and over the top, and they never like try and rein it in because they're like, well. If, if it was a Bollywood movie, you'd be like, well, he's a millionaire man in a giant flying armor suit. Why don't we go all out? And sure. they would. Makes sense. Um, as ridiculous as any superhero film, they never try and explain why shit is happening. Shouldn't. Uh, because at this point, we've heard all those explanations. It's nanoviruses. It's nano-quantum drugs. Mm-hmm. They don't give a shit. It could be set in the Bronze Age, and people are just like, well, yeah, he can lift tanks. Also, tanks exist, and they don't. They don't spend any time. It's the Bronze Age. Um, <laughs> now, here's 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 the part where I'm being serious. Okay, so they are racially, sexually, and generally culturally insensitive in a lot of ways. But you realize in watching that and being uncomfortable that so is all of your shitty blockbusters. I think there's something to that because you're immunized against it coming from a different culture. When they're just like arranged marriage. Ugh, and you get like really weirded out by it, or like, wait, he's going to fall in love with the girl by pretending he has Down syndrome? That's not cool movie. And then you're like, wait, we have really shitty shit like that all the time too. Black Widow still doesn't have her own movie. That was the John- movie Bright exists. That was like, like we're no better than this. Didn't Johnny Knoxville do that movie? Yeah, 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 yeah. What, exactly. What, the Ringer. Yeah, no, I the don't Ringer know what it was called. Yeah, that was, was it. it. The Ringer. Yeah, we did it. Catherine Heigl who was an important part of American cinema for a brief period of time, was in a movie where that happens. Yeah, yeah. So that's the thing, man. you got to think about it like, yes, there is going to be the momentarily racist reaction where you're like, well, God, this is crazy. But when you get past it, you're like, oh, God, this we have awful like retrograde chauvinist propaganda shit all the time now. It sort of immunizes you to it. Like, uh, rather than like, sure. you know, 
Or points out your immunization. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, I think you could do that. And to that end, you could learn something. You can learn some stuff about Indian culture. It's not going to be super accurate all the way through. I wouldn't use it for a history lesson. But you're, you, you, know, you can learn some stuff about other languages. Right. Like, I didn't know that uh, the Bollywood framework, uh, to they will randomly switch from Hindi into English. But that has like a sort of telling structure in the story. It's sort of a grammatical tone to switch into Pigeon English like to show that one is either stuck up or referring to a formal topic. And like, I'm learning stuff about the language as I'm watching it, too. Oh, nice. Which I'm not learning anything in a superhero movie. I didn't learn anything in Doctor Strange other than like, well, I guess Asian people are Tilda Swinton now. Yeah. And... Bollywood can be racist too, but I can recognize it and not feel guilty about it because it's not from my culture, uh, which I don't have that luxury when I watch Doctor Strange. Um, So, last thing, and perhaps most important, every genre is improved with random, full-blown musical numbers. And I've never seen it not be true. This of a is the thing I'm piece. interested in the most. I oh, gotta be honest. God, it's so good. When and it, and it's in everything. There's no topic too serious or too whimsical or too horrific to not be interrupted by a musical number. Right. Right. Most of it's about love. Like mostly, uh, it is. That, most of them are love songs. That's, yeah, that's yeah. very true. Like, the bits like I haven't liked much of what Boz Lerman has done, but the bits that Boz Lerman does, where oh, why are we singing now? Oh my God, this is moving. That's the shit that like transports me to another another time another place and i'm thinking that like maybe all of the singing and the dancing i'll be like okay i'm in would you like boz lerman set pieces without boz lerman touching the writing of any other part of the film because that's bollywood for sure that's the dream honestly and they're living it over there that's how i watch most boz lerman films anyways yeah i love that musical number and then oh he's writing again i just skip scenes this is still australia yeah yeah i'm still watching australia uh yeah uh so that's that's a big thing like that here's the thing you want stars that look good holy shit is bollywood putting them you can't be the waiter in a bollywood movie unless you were cut up from the flow up Mm -hmm. it is insane Mm -hmm. like they (laughs) it is ridiculous that you could be the most comic relief ridiculous like character actor ever and you are like movie star 10 out of 10 hot like it's ridiculous so if you want like 80s level hollywood bollywood's still doing it like adam driver's not a movie star over in bollywood like you can't have a big nose or look you have to be a supermodel to play an extra in your average bollywood uh blockbuster um and then lastly here's what i love best about it as a nerdy american i can get my i can have my cake and eat it too you can riff on a bollywood movie for being utterly insane because they are utterly insane and they're not utterly insane just because it's from another culture that's certainly part of it but they are utterly insane and they have no breaks on much like many american films don't sure but you just can't see them because you're inculcated to the culture transport but you can riff on a bollywood movie and mock it and have ridiculous hilarious fun as you know he shoots eight arrows out of a single bow in like a machine gun to be some sort of epic hero. You can laugh at that while still marveling at the production value and acknowledging that like, wow, that was pretty well shot, which is not something you can typically do in American film becomes the schlock fest. You have the room problems like, well, Tommy Wiseau has something wrong with his brain. Mm -hmm. Let's all sit around and laugh about that. And let's not examine that too deeply as that poor, poor man continues with whatever has gone wrong in his head. There's no problem with that with Bollywood. They're killing it over there. Mm -hmm. They're making money. People are getting jobs. And it's cool looking. And it's also 
utterly ridiculous and over the top and and just nuts. Um, so, I'm, I'm convinced. Uh, one Bollywood film I should try. Uh, I would suggest because it's streaming on Netflix. Sing Him. Okay. And any of the remakes because they've remade it like eight times. Uh, they all get progressively more insane. Uh, Krish is their version of a superhero epic, mm-hmm. uh, which is also utterly insane. It's a trilogy. Uh, and uh, Bahubali 2 is uh, on YouTube. Yeah, apparently. I will say that we watched it without seeing Bahubali 1, Yeah, and we made it through the three-and-a-half-hour run timing where we realized that Bahubali 1... Uh, Bahubali 2 is the explanation of a story that occurs in a one-minute scene at the end of Bahubali 2. So a woman starts talking at the end of Bahubali 1. All of three and a half hours of Bahubali 2 goes as an extensive flashback. Then they go back to Bahubali 1, which none of us had seen, and finish the first film after a three and a half hour No, it's amazing. Don't nope it. It's the coolest thing I've ever seen uh, because it was absolutely You don't need to see the first one. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what if we put the budget of our film times six into a flashback? Yeah. So like in Bahubali 1, like, yo, you have your hero fighting against the bad guy. And then like they stop saying, okay, so here's how his parents met. Hmm. And then that's when the sequel begins. God. And then, like, <laughs> they cut back, and his parents both have, like, the, you know, the father has a tragic ending, the mother's kidnapped by the bad guy, and then they're like, all right, so back to the present, the hero's going to rescue his mother now. Oh, my God. Okay. And, like, that's yeah. the thing. I'm not yeah. watching, like, story-driven art stuff. It's, like, dumb action movie stuff, but, like, nerds like that crap. Sure. If it's, like, nostalgia-based, don't go for the nostalgia. Their heist movies are great. Bollywood heist movies are crime movies are entertaining as hell. Go for the big spectacle, go for the insanity, but just be thrilled with the originality of it all because you're not inculcated and in s- drowning in superhero movies. So nerves to stop worrying and learn to love Bollywood. I'm in. Time for beer. <laughs> Time for something else. BRB. Spencer, what are you drinking? So this is from Brewfist Italian Ales, the Spaghetti Western Imperial Chocolate Coffee Stout. Great branding, by the way. Yeah, yeah. It's got a nice label with a kind of an intricate sort of pattern on it. Uh, I like it. Anyway. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's good. That's good. Um, that's probably three for me. That's probably a penny. I think there's a world in which I drink a little more of that, and I like it more, and it becomes a four. Yeah, the grappa mm. barrel seems weird for me. Yeah, I don't love... Seems like a weird thing to brew a coffee I, ale I think that's in. the problem, the, the thing that I'm struggling with, yeah. is there's a little bit of that like kind of uh, um, wine-like tanniness to the whole thing, but yeah. I don't know mm, what I'm crazy yeah. about. Um, okay, Odd. new segment time. Well, not not net technically new. New format time. Yeah. So it's Ask Mix 6. And here's the thing. Every time we ask Mix 6, you guys send great stuff. But we always get a couple questions in there that we can't really use because we can't get a full segment out of them. Right. They have a sentence or two answer, and then we're done. Sometimes I'm just like, no. Well, yeah, none of these are no's. But right. some of them are just like, well, we can't get a whole segment out of that. Right. However, this time, something about the lightning round gave us lightning round questions that have lightning round answers. That's right. So uh, we're going to do a fire sale of Ask Mix 6 questions. We're going to use all of them because we got 10 questions that have pretty short answers yeah. so we're gonna do 10 questions in 10 minutes so this is the mix six fire sale everything must go 
all answers must be given at rock bottom prices. Uh, so what's our first question, Spencer? We're going to try to alternate questions as best we can. We'll see how this goes, people. Ken R. asks, you all seem organized. Aha, it's working. Do you have any advice on implementing an organizational system and then sticking to it even when pressed for time and energy? Here's what you do, Ken. You get a long list of tasks that you're going to do quickly but shittily just to get the like Skinner Boxian thrill of uh, having something marked off your to-do list. Then you let that roll into that task that you need to like build up for. So it's the progressive, productive procrastination model. Yep. So like get some things that you can just knock out really quickly without spending too much time or thought on it. Start marking them off the to-do list and then keep going. Totally unrelated to that answer I just gave. Here's the next question on Ask Mix Six. Uh, Noah, aka Broa, asks, "What is your stance on beer cocktails, black and tan snake bites, brass monkeys, etc.?" Generally, fuck that shit. <laughs> beer is a cocktail in and of itself. I'm not saying I haven't had a, a, a good black and tan. Oh, a black and tan is delicious. Occasionally, I taste a beer cocktail that I like quite a bit. But for me, cocktails are reserved for the finer liquors in life, or to hide the fact that some liquor I'm looking at you vodka is just fucking terrible. I will do black and tans. Uh, I will do black and blues. Sure. Uh, Guinness and Blue Moon's pretty good. And there there I stop, because beer cocktails eventually leads into, like, lunchbox territory, which is, like, boulevard and orange juice and just... Amaretto, bur- thank bur- you. Yeah, and burn in hell forever. I want none part of that. Totally unrelated to that question, and question number three, Evan G. Cologne asks, who is the better superhero, Superman or Batman? And more importantly, how do you justify your claim? Listen, if you have listened to this podcast before and don't instantly know what both of our answers are... Uh, you haven't listened to this podcast before, is what I'm telling you. And if you also don't know that this would break the podcast and end the friendship if we had the Superman v. Batman fight, again, this is your first episode. And thank you for listening, but we're not going to go there because we would like to have an episode 33. We see your dirty tricks, villain of the superior superhero Lex Luthor. We're not doing that shit. Yeah. Uh, Question number four, Caleb. Uh, Maddie Gibbons asks, do you want a shameless excuse to talk about Gen Con? Here's a shameless excuse to talk about Gen Con. What are you all doing at Gen Con? We're doing a lot at Gen Con. Yes. So at a minimum, uh, we are going to be doing a live mixed six show. Uh, and then Caleb, what are you doing at Gen Con? I am going to be doing a panel for Red Markets talking about uh, a variety of GM things for people that want to write GMs for games. Uh, I'm going to be uh, coordinating a bunch of people running games. I will be working at the IGDN booth if you want to come by and say hi, have me sign something or perhaps buy an expensive copy of my book that mm-hmm. would be swell um i will be uh doing a live gdw podcast with ross we will be doing the rppr meetup which is fun Hey-o. every single year uh we will also all three be doing a couple of panels about patreon and how to run a successful patreon producer ross what are you doing at gen con uh, well, those panels that he mentioned, uh, the the Patreon crowdfunding. It's not just Patreon now that there's drip. It's crowd subscription crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. Uh, RPVR live, of course. Uh, we're all gonna meet up, talk, record a live episode, and then hopefully find some place to play board games and get drunken. And uh, recording games with Adam Scott Glancy, if possible. Uh, looking for a venue to play private games. Oh yeah, yeah. that's just. The on the books kind, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. We yeah, haven't even talked about secret. We're hoping yeah, yeah. we're hoping con. to find as many spaces and as much beer as we can to run party foul games for people. Oh yeah, so we're just we're going to be at Gen Con doing a bunch of shit. Be there yeah. is what we're saying. Basically, right. Spencer, what's next? Question number five. Greg B asks, "What's the one place you want to visit the most, and why?" Caleb. Most of the time, it's some form of uh, Europe, because I know the language. Typically, London, but that's kind of boring, and it's also cold as fuck outside. I want to go to Cuba. I want to wander around a Cuban street 
I want to get tired and hot in a lovely linen shirt I just bought. I want to take off my Panama hat and fan myself while drinking rum and smoking a fine cigar. Then I would like to wander around a bit until I get tired and hot. Then I would like to drink more rum and smoke another cigar. And that could just be my whole trip in Cuba. Perhaps at night I find a band to listen to while drinking rum. And smoking a fine cigar, I I would love that. That, that would be that would be swell. Sounds absolutely beautiful. I would like to go to anywhere they filmed the Lord of the Rings, and everyone leave me the fuck alone. Oh, that yeah. would be that would be it for me. As much as I don't want to fly anywhere for that amount of time, <laughs> drug me up, get me there, leave me alone. Uh, right. Next question. Uh, Copper Crane asks, if you are going to assemble a heist team composed entirely of yourselves at an earlier or later periods in life, what would your team look like? Really interesting question. Almost picked it for a mixed six mock draft because mm-hmm. I got some thoughts about earlier me and, if I'm being honest, about earlier you. <laughs> but instead, here's what I've landed on. A heist team of three. One, me at 31 years old sitting here right now to do all of the strategy. I think I'm at my highest mental powers, even whilst drunk. Also, it could be because I'm drunk. I think that. Uh, two, me at 21, arguably my most brazen and my most charming. And that's what you need to get in the door in some places. Three, me at nine. I was cute, but I also still had my athleticness about me because I hadn't gotten too fat or too lazy, which means that I could do a lot of the physical need, the physical things needed to successfully complete a heist. All right. One, me in first grade. Uh, two, me as an RA, so college years. Three, me right now. We all turn knock on narc on the other people doing the heist because we are both all three of us very physically inactive and useless in a crime and we are all very afraid of authority police especially and do not want to commit crimes because we are terribly afraid so we're going to turn state's evidence real fast and get this over with there's the extra topical caleb stokes consideration you got it question number seven angie h and ben w ask just how worried should we be regarding recent news on possible alien life aka aliens you shouldn't be worried at all because nasa needs funding like every time that story hits the news and you know what you should be worried nasa doesn't have enough funding because that should get some money but the alien thing eh, you're probably fine i'm not worried at all because it'll be a perfect opportunity for me to show my new tramp stamp which just reads welcome to earth (laughs) question eight caleb uh joe asks how do you feel about the apparent lack of work ethic in most recent waves of workies aka those stupid millennials not hearing it joe uh (laughs) you've asked some good questions on other parts of this this isn't it i gotta be honest with you i don't have a problem with millennials and frankly i think it's fucked up that we talk about how terrible millennials are without the larger context of the economic situation in which millennials live and work also i am a millennial joe because i'm under 35 you might be too and also most of the people you think of as teenagers right now aren't millennials at all if they were born after 2000 it's just a thing grumpy old people say to uh and get angry about young people the people you should be pissed off about are baby boomers you should eat the rich and especially the old one the aged meat tastes better here's what i like about this question is that work ethic is in quotes and i think maybe joe's in on the bit and knows what we're getting at here yeah well we bitched at it for you joe yeah we 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 did what we were supposed to do question nine darren pretty asks what board games is the mixed six crew looking forward to getting or playing or high up on the wish list for 2018 caleb i'm gonna go with imaginary which is this crazy steampunk gang that has art that is akin to Mysterium or something like Dixit, uh, but it appears to have mechanics that aren't the sort of creative intelligence games, Mm. uh, because I like that art style, but I wanted to see it applied to something else, and it's got like 
towns living on top of giant slugs and steampunk elephants and all sorts of crazy shit. So sure. I don't know anything about the game, but it just looks cool AF, and I really want to see that one. If I had yeah. to pick one, it's probably going to be Imagine. That sounds awesome. Have to be totally honest here, Darren, and I feel bad saying this. I have not been um, forecasting enough in my approach to 2018 board games. I can't tell you what's coming out right now because I've been so mired in other stuff, and that's on me, not on the conditions of life. But I can tell you that in late May or early June, there's a great game coming to Kickstarter about <laughs> ducks getting drunk. Be on the lookout. Question number 10. Uh, Jeb asks, what tips or tricks do you use when browsing streaming surfaces for things that aren't going to be on their front page? Uh, you know mine. Check out the Bollywood section. Absolutely. Yeah. Here's mine. Find some barbiturants or <laughs> um, or stimulants, things that are going to give you enough energy to exhaust all of the subgenres which are available to you on those things, and hope to God that you click on the right one. As someone who has spent many a day searching aimlessly through Netflix after Netflix after Netflix feed, trying to find the golden goose that lays no egg, I do not believe that there is a good strategy for this other than... Find a fucking lucky penny. It's rolling the dice. That was nine minutes. We got a whole minute to spare. We just killed it. I Clearing feel like, house, honestly, that's sale. the single greatest thing we've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the most coherent I've ever been in my whole life, not just on this podcast. Yeah, we, we need the time. All right. More uh, beer, more things at regular speed in a second. I'm drinking. Yeah. Have yeah. you have you been here before? No, I'm not. Jesus, Caleb. Well, I'm you so know, excited about the, what the are lightning you, round. What are you drinking? I am drinking uh, from Cathedral Square Brewery in St. Louis. Holy moly. Which is a uh, imperial stout turning sinners into saints. That's their subtitle. Holy moly. That's how you have to say that, I think. Kind of like a flabbergasted 60s Batman. It's a It's a three. Eh, you said that so unenthusiastically that it makes me think maybe it's not a three. Oh, and then maybe it made you sneeze. I had to sneeze, so Bless maybe that was you. it. Maybe that was it. Do you think that's going to change things for you, that you had to sneeze? I'm not a scientist. That is correct. And nothing could illustrate no, that more no, than the fact a, that you thought that's a that Julia. was scientific. That is a Julia. Okay. That's a two. Yeah, that's, okay. a, that's a Julia. Julia, as it were. It's, stouts need to go hard in the paint for me because I'm all about stouts. So they got to get into it. They got to yeah. attack the something that makes them deeply stout, and that sort of has like an amber ale, brown ale, um, nothing on Fuck the end. That of noise! It, so I'm yeah. not into it. I'm not. I ain't having that Cathedral Square. Uh, while Caleb drinks that, we're into Living with Humans, our number two vote getter. It feels like it's been some time since we did a Living yeah, with Humans yeah. segment. Um, it's also, it also feels terminally weird to me that you people ask us to talk about what it's like to work with other people. Well, obviously, we're the experts. And so we've combined here a little bit because Maddie Gibbons asked us an interesting question. What is the tipping point when helping someone at a cost to your own time or effort no longer is worth it from a personal satisfaction point of view? Maddie suggested this is a com quarter, but having read the question, I thought, now nah, this is about being with people. Yeah, it goes deeper than that. Yeah, so... Caleb, you, you've certainly done your fair share of side work, looking at things, editing stuff, reviewing stuff, writing stuff. When do you feel like the line gets drawn? Uh, so here's the thing. I think there needs to be a relationship first before you even begin down this road. So the reason this isn't a com corner is because never work for exposure. It's bullshit. Uh, do not work for a thank you. Do not work for a had a boy. Do not work for... Uh, some sort of nebulous fame that you may or may not get as a result of it. 
Uh, work for money. You should work for money. Money is what you should work for. But this goes into living with humans because um, I do believe that there needs to be reciprocity in relationship. It doesn't have to be one-to-one. I think you're a psychopath if you're looking for that level of reward structure. However, there does have to come a point, and I think that's what Maddie's getting at, which where is that point at, where you have to say that this person is a taker. They are consuming sections of my life and, mm-hmm. and leaving nothing in it, mm-hmm. and you need to sever that relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think that occurs uh, fairly often in our modern day because we live in a world of ghosting and passive aggression and uh, situations where you can be useful to someone and they will maintain the relationship strictly for that. But um, not to sound too much like a you know capitalist pig, but uh, you got to get as well as give. These people need to have some sort of uh, you know give back to your economy. Uh, so that you are getting something like that. So I have relationships like this. Ross has been enormously uh, beneficial to my career as a game designer of no promised reward to him. And uh, as a result, I try and give back however I can to content of RPPR and um, you know, producer jobs and uh, you know other hey. stuff. Uh, I, I hope that it, that is an equitable relationship, and then we still pay each other money to do stuff. So, yeah. um, I think that is the key. And like, I don't think of Ross as a time investment. I don't think of Ross as like an effort investment. I hope producer Ross doesn't think of me in the same way. No, but that is because we are not forced to, because one side isn't pulling from the other side and never giving anything back. Caleb's a golden goose. I gotta. <laughs> Keep squeezing the eggs out of him. Yeah. Get some more Delta Green scenarios. Yeah. Here's the thing. Yeah. If you're thinking about it in terms of reciprocity and not receiving enough, that's probably a sign there's a problem already. I think that's the trick for me. Um, there's this like pretty good book on this called Give and Take Leadership. Uh, and it's kind of like about the nature of people thinking about giving tasks or help away in terms of reciprocity or not in terms of reciprocity. Uh, you know, spoiler alert, the conceit of the book is that givers typically perform better in organizational settings than takers or matchers, people who are looking for a one-to-one relationship, which you've identified as a problem yeah. in the nature of having given something. Um, so for me, I I, I don't know. I'm probably on the wrong side of this equation in some ways. I'm willing to like give. Well, I'm willing to help just a lot. I uh, um, uh, I I kind of enjoy it, um, even though I know there's not m- much reward to to a lot of it. But I also kind of like have a unique thought. I I think that like my kind of like personal personal goal, personal skill in life is like I'm not really particularly good at too many things. Um, I'm not terribly creative. I'm not good at producing things, but I know creative people and I know people who produce things. And so if I have anything that can help them do that thing, then maybe that's my way of like fitting in the chain of whatever this all is. And so I'm willing, I mean, I don't know, let, let's take a shot and see how it goes. Um, I know then the things that feel wrong or feel like it's too much are probably in the right category of this has gone too far because I have a wide latitude of things I'm just like kind of willing to try or do. You know what I mean? Like, hey, spend a couple hours on a Saturday doing this thing. Yeah, okay, let's give it a shot and see what happens, yeah. you know? And if it works, it works great. And if it doesn't work, sorry. I hope it was helpful uh, while I was trying. So for me, it's not so much about the act or the function, but it's about the person. Uh, I am willing to invest a ton of time, energy, effort into helping out, as it were, 
uh, with people that I'm very close with or people that I believe in or people that I think just like need the help for circumstance or reasons. Uh, If you're not on that list, though, it's a little bit harder for me to want to give that stuff and suddenly I start approaching things as a matcher or maybe even a taker in some instances. And that's when I know... I've reached a point. So do I have a hard and fast objective rule that I could point to here and say, in this instance, you should not do this thing? No. But what I can say is, if you feel like you're being taken advantage of, there's a strong possibility you are. Yeah. Um, or there's a strong possibility that even if you aren't, that the level of work you put in will diminish according to your take on the whole bit such that it's not worth participating in the first place. Yeah, I don't want to say, like, never express expect reciprocity never do a good deed in expectation for reward uh but i do want to say never start off a relationship that way right don't don't start thinking about it like in terms of attention or gift economy because that is you know sociopath libertarian uh slippery slope yeah and you don't want to do that shit and that's also not healthy um so yeah, help people because they need help. Help people because you like them and you right. want to do the stuff. However, the second you start thinking about, you know what? I don't really think I'm getting a lot out of this. Um, that is when it's probably progressing to the point where you should start thinking about that. Like, well, yeah. what have you done? Like, you know, if the friend only asks you to help them move or for money or if they can hang out right. or if they can borrow something and that's it and you're not getting anything out of that, yeah. like... You don't want to be played. You don't want to be strung along like that. Like, yeah. And at a certain point, you need to stop taking those calls. And the other thing is that yes. if the person has not given that sort of reciprocity back, if they've not felt some sort of like basic human need to show gratitude and understand worth of someone that has helped them and you've genuinely tried to help them totally multiple agree. times, yep. they're not the type of person you have to feel about about not returning their calls. It doesn't have to be a conflict. It can be super passive aggressive. Yeah. Like the ghosting thing, which I generally find to be psychologically poisonous and the stupidest thing ever yeah. is actually useful in the point where it's like, well, here's a person who's just going to ask me for shit. And so I'm not going to be on the phone. Totally agree. Like, totally yeah. agree. As you were talking, I, you know, I said only moments ago that I don't know that I have any objective rules for this, but here we are. I'm, you know, alcohol, <laughs> uh, objective rules that I might pile on having, having kind of like listened to, to your assessment of these things. One, uh, if you're not willing to help yourself, I don't know that I'm that willing to go out of my way to help you. If if I don't feel like you're going to put in the time, energy, and effort to make something that's important to you work, I don't want to put in the time, energy, and effort to make something that's important to you work. That's a totally different consideration than do I think you have the material ability, resources, et cetera, to be able to do that thing. Uh, and then two, if and when your um, requests for free time, commitment, et cetera, impede my ability to do things that are part of my paid time and or things that I selfishly want to do, yeah. then we're running into some sideways problems. Uh, and in this case, we're talking about like physically doing things or mentally doing things. Like, I don't consider talking to me a favor to the person I'm talking to because I'm not a fucking, you know... Right. Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. Like, uh, but at the same time, like there are people that will constantly ask you to do things and never, ever give back. Right. And you just need to start avoiding those people. Like you don't need to make it a big thing. Look at the tea leaves. folks. If if they want to, if they ask you directly, you can be direct with them, but also you don't have to, because you don't owe them anything. In fact, the other way around, just tell them you're busy. Uh, Yeah. And you can, you can piece out of that. And so I would say to Maddie, like if you've considered this question, it's time to start thinking about if you should exit on this question. I think that's a good rule. Because if you're like a natural human being with like a natural sort of give-take reciprocity mindset that is inculcated in all of us as members of like functioning societies, 
and you're thinking of that now when you weren't thinking of that at the start because you're not because you're a regular human being you didn't have to learn emotions right. from you've a re- book you've reached a point um you've reached a point where like well this is severe enough to overcome my basic natural impulses towards social cohesion yep and that should tell me something absolutely agree yeah yep uh great question maddie thanks so much for the submission and we're on to drunk enough after we grab one more beer Hey Spencer, what are you drinking? Uh, don't don't play coy with me, Caleb Stokes. You did this. That was coy. This is for the listeners. You coy? did this. Me, this little me. Big muddy brewings s'more stout. Can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine the outrage if I drank the s'more stout? Yeah. yeah. No what, one would be. That's what I'm imagining. No right one now. would be happy about it. Not your fiery you. death. <laughs> Spencer, please spew it on the floor, not on my expensive equipment. I promise nothing. You sh- mm. I owe neither of you anything. That's what the pop filter is mm. for, right? Uh, yeah. No, it's porous. Oh, it smells saccharine. <laughs> <laughs> Stillwater rule, he's taking a sip. He is drinking it, which is... No. <laughs> 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 no, it was a good, it was a good stout, and then the marshmallow flavor hit. You're not a fan of marshmallows. Add that to the water. I like I like marshmallows quite a bit on their own, unadulterated, <laughs> out of a bag. Um, I have to try it because I love. I don't smells. know. I honestly don't know that it's a one. I honestly don't know that it's a really. One. Yeah, that was. <laughs> it wasn't. It looked like a one. No, it's not good. Like I'm not. I don't want to drink it. I mean, I want to be clear about that. So it's a two. But the artific- I'll trade you. I love this artificial marshmallow Ooh, flavoring. It tastes like candy on the back end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's probably it's probably. All right, let me try. It. Ooh, candy. Yes, I like it. It's probably a Tulia for me. Mm. Yeah. Which it honestly, smells the, good. The graham cracker in the pot. I will trade you. You can try this holy moly. You like it better. First off, I honestly think both of you are just fucking trolling me right I'm now. I'm not trolling it's good. you. I love s'mores. It's good. I'm gonna leave. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll be back. I don't know anymore. <laughs> give me, give me that. I want, I want like one of those beer floats made with that. Like you get it, like uh, oh, Alamo Caleb, stuff. Caleb, thank you for finding that and buying it and bringing it here. What the fuck do you guys want to talk about? <laughs> so it's a two from Spencer and a five from producer Austin. That's a me. five. It is good. It's good. Fuck I don't want you. a six pack no. of it. That's a five. Yeah. All right, maybe a four. I don't. It's I couldn't fun. drink a second it's a one, but it's beer. delicious. Okay, is it a five? It's per, a four. And it's producer four. Ross, I need you to tell me honestly. It's <laughs> not a fox. It's not. Let a me fox. give me another. Let me have another sip. I can't decide between a four. I know that we need to talk about the drunk enough shit, but honest oh, to it God, tastes like a campfire. If it's one of so you good. says that that's a five, I will. I, this I don't table. want you to fight me. So uh, it does it, taste like a fucking s'more, and it's great. It's it's a four for me. It's a hard four. And what is it for you, producer Ross? Think very critically. <laughs> It's five. Yeah. <laughs> he said it. He said it, not me. He said it, not me. Anyway, drunk enough uh, is is different. Woo. So, by the way, we talked about the lightning round aspect six. We didn't forget you, Stephen from Belgium. It's just that you were inside my head. So before I even read your question, I wrote a drunk enough out that I said uh, the following: um, a saying that's been drilled into my mind from birth is that boredom is a sign of weakness, and I've kind of lived my life that way. But I also know that um, 
I wonder if it's true or if it's just this posturing akin to do do you even lift for the intellectual set? So I want to kind of interrogate that as a statement in our modern times. And your uh, question, Stephen from Belgium, was about you know boredom on a sick day and what do you do when you don't have the motivation to get up and do other things? Uh, so uh, we didn't forget your question. It was just so neatly covered in our uh, drunk enough topic that we put it there. Uh, so, uh, Spencer, you are glaring hatefully at us and not really engaging with what I've just said. So, do I need to repeat the topic? Or? I think I made my terms clear. <laughs> <laughs> this is a. I, I don't. I'm, no, 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 no. Yeah. You, you assholes. Have I gave it a four. Staked your I ground. gave it a four. No, it's fine. It's On great. average, it's a 4.5. We don't do that. <laughs> we don't do that here. I, I said on average between the two of us. I, for and the, that's how numbers work. For the sake of this segment, which may very well be the last mixed six <laughs> segment ever recorded, will participate in this conversation, but not for either of you, but instead for Stephen from Belgium, who took the time to write in to us. And after that, the three of us will privately revisit this whole partnership. <laughs> Having said that, um, so Stephen from Belgium, thanks for the question. Uh, not not the November that we just had, but the November before, or the November before, three Novembers ago now. My goodness. I got the full-on flu. Like yeah. eight plus days. Oh, yeah, you were bad. Of just fucking. I think I got it that year, too. I got spring break. Yeah, it was awful. Mis- yeah, you did. Yeah. Misery. I mean, like, couldn't get comfortable, couldn't get relief. It was like five days of fever, two days of throwing up. And there I was, just laid up on my couch for a week plus with literally nothing to do because I couldn't do anything. And just television to watch or books to read or Netflix to ruin. But here's the thing. When you were bored, did you feel guilty about it? Because I do. Um... Yes. Well, guilt is not the way I would describe my boredom. Um, I would describe my boredom as anxious. Um, I don't know that I feel bad that I'm bored because I recognize that given the amount of things that There's I anxiety have, in there. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Given the amount of things that I have in my life that I could be doing, boredom is not reasonable sometimes. And on other occasions, boredom is a flat choice. I put things away and I, I, I set stuff uh, uh, in other rooms so that I do calm down because mm-hmm. I get overstimulated and I kind of like force boredom. But boredom that just arrives, um, it's not guilt. It's anxiety producing for me. It's what am I going to do? Um, two questions run through my head when I get really bored. One, um, how can I maximize the time that I'm currently using? And maximize there has, has a couple different meanings. Fun. How can I have the most fun? How can I most productively use this time? Like, should I be reading a book? Should I be getting better at my job? Should I be learning something, right? And all of these things and the indecision around how to answer all of these questions and negotiate these, like, variables against one another. Yeah, that, that's anxiety-inducing for me. Yeah. The other parts that, that is anxiety-inducing is this kind of, like, existential dread that sets in, which is, like, I could do literally anything I wanted to do right now, and none of it sounds enjoyable, or I don't have the energy to do it. Is there something wrong with me? Yeah. It's kind of like more fundamental ontological question of being. Um, do I feel guilty about it? No. I feel stressed. I feel really fucking stressed about it. I feel stressed about it, and that is compounded by the guilt. So, like, parents do a number on all of us. 
but this one is sort of like sneaky good because this one did a number on it and I don't realize it until like way later in life. Yeah. And I think it might have been a good thing to do to me at the same time. So like I'm not really like interrogating it as a piece of trauma yeah, or anything fair. like yeah. that. But yeah, like yeah. my parents instilled in me in this sort of like God as father like level of authority that if you're bored, you're failing yourself because there's a world around you to make and read and view and imagine and you need to go take care of that yeah um and it was somehow and it was more than like go play outside because they were pretty protective too they didn't just want to get rid of me but if they but when i was a child as we all are children and sort of asking our parents and telling them that we are bored in a sort of a sense for them to entertain us and their refusal to do that and their demand that i resolve things on my internal resources has um always sat with me. Mm-hmm. So for instance, I work a full-time teaching job. Right. And I wrote a 496 page book. Right. And you don't do that when you're comfortable right. with boredom. Yeah. Uh, and I am not comfortable with boredom. And the other thing, I'd see kids in school with me who were bored and their choice for being not bored was torturing people. Sure. And and like and so it's sort of internalized for me as like a natural 100% truth in the world that boredom is a sign of weakness mentally. Yeah. And one should cure oneself of it. The second one feels boredom in in order to bolster oneself up. And it's sort of like the most calvinist reaganomics conservative midwestern thing that is like sure. instilled in my brain. Yeah. Um but at the same time I realized that that is a function of resources. Like maybe you don't have the resources not to be bored. Imagination is finite. Mm-hmm. And if you live in a, you know, abandoned lot, right. you're not going to do that. Or if you're tired. I mean, Or if you're tired. Yeah. And that's the right. other thing. Because um, like you talk about being uh, not productive during a sick day. Well, yeah. that is capitalism just fucking with you. Right. Like, but that's the thing. I think about that when I'm bored and watching Netflix and that like, well, my guilt is a function of this sort of ideological uh, yeah. idea. And then I watched a documentary about Zizak or something right. on my sick day. And uh, he that. clears his nose and does those things before he goes on the Survivor Island. And um, uh, it, it is, in other words, yes. Yes, the crab <laughs> I hit with, in other words, that is to say, the rock. <laughs> you know what's comforting about it is that when you watch a Zizak documentary while you have the flu, it's comforting to, <laughs> to hear someone who sounds like he has a worse head cold than you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So anyway, uh, there, there's that, and I, and I do kind of think about the very question of it, and and I again I tell myself I'm resolving the boredom problem, even though I am too sick to move right now right. and do things. But at the same time, I realize that's a function of privilege. Um, I also worry about that in the younger generations, and I hate to sound like a fucking fish shaking boomer, but like there's a lot of child psychology that says that boredom is a serious resource to be cultivated in youth mm-hmm. that has gone now. And so there is a large amount of internal resources that are never tested or delved because you have all of human culture from everywhere right. on earth at your fingertips at all times. And, um, as a filthy millennial, mm-hmm. I wrote my first research paper in ninth grade on card catalog. Woo! So I was, you know, one of those play outside kids, uh, for at least a portion of my time. Um, but, 
that's not a thing anymore. No. And is this? But here's the thing. At the same time, I don't want to be like, well, it's the destruction. It's the decline of the Roman Empire. No. Like everybody else on the fucking earth, I could acknowledge like it's different from how I grew up, and right. therefore it's equally valid. Like, which is what I feel like I should be saying. And so, uh, I'm and really how t- old man you would say it. Yeah, and, and I'm just sort of really tortured by this saying that like has had a lot of benefit in my life. It's allowed me to create things despite. Um, living in a world and with an occupation in which I'm not supposed to create things other than other people. Right. Um, but at the same time, I also acknowledge that, like, thinking of it as weakness is probably pretty insulting to some people yeah, and pretty adds, privileged. Like, it adds, I think, some unnecessary value statement, maybe. You know? Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Um, two things that came up while you were talking. One is, um, you know, I think about, so, like, uh, my mom was a single mom for the first, you know, like 10, 12 years of my life. When she would get home from work, we would watch TV and movies together. Like, yeah. That's what we would do. Um, it's probably the reason that I have such a refined film palette. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because my mom really liked Big Trouble in Little China. Mm, and It. And It, yes. Yeah. You're five now, son. It's time for Cannibal Holocaust. Right, right. And so I think that part of, part of, part of my problem... Uh, it's not a problem. Part, part of my ethos is like when I'm not doing something, uh, I think I was like socialized to think that downtime or free time is for consumption, not creation. I mean, we, we would sit and watch things together and talk about them. You know what I mean? So I got used to, if you're not at school or you're not working, whatever that means, um, you're consuming. And so for me, I get the most stressed when I'm like, I don't know what to watch. I can't find anything to watch. See, I'm very much in the mindset of downtime is for creation and consumption is also for creation. Right. Nope. See, I, mine is a... Like, I'm very much in like, I have to work... Uh, and then everything else, I can create stuff. Yep. But sometimes I need fuel for the creation fire, and yep. then I can consume stuff. Nope. And I'm constantly like anxiety, anxiety about, well, should I be working out or studying out how to work better? Yep. Like, should I should I be making or or consuming? No, creation's a late ad for me. Yeah. Um, see, I'm thinking everything. That, I'm at the point where like everything's grist for the mill. Nope. And I don't know if that's healthy. Either. This all this all feels like a bonus outside of the consumption bit, which is at the core of my like. It's free time now. Consume, sit and do nothing, and consume. Yeah, I, but I'm at the point where I'm like, free time. Let's make a Patreon. Right. Consume yeah. Beer. You mean? Well, sure. Yeah. Let's yeah, I mean, monetize drinking because I don't feel I don't feel productive enough. Right. While we drink and ha- talk to friends in spare time. Yeah. No. I mean, which is deeply fucked up now that I've said it a lot. I think I'm arriving somewhere right. in this drunk enough. Yeah, I mean, all, all you know, the, really the difference is here, here is in passive and active. I mean, for me, like all of the stuff you're talking about, I, I approach it passively because it's like, yeah, and you can or can't not do it. And for years, things that would frustrate me are when I felt like I was in um, consume mode, uh, things that would force me to like think or produce Ugh. or yeah i mean it, it, it violated the whole spirit of the and now this switch has been flipped and so it's been a real struggle for me the other half of that then is that certainly in the last couple of years and the thing that really helped me understand this was teaching and having these days and days on end where i didn't in theory have to do anything and so i would sit and play video games and watch stuff and then my anxiety teaching got, higher ed teaching higher ed yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. because i would school. teach three hours a week or whatever, or yeah. five hours a week, and then I would Not sit. your average teaching experience. Because for me, it was like, not working, go not do anything. Um, and I really had to reconcile or confront the like, well, yeah, but you're uh, you know, a, 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 a human adult with a brain <laughs> who's capable of doing things. So wouldn't it be okay if you told yourself it was okay to spend your time doing that stuff? And so I think over the last couple of years, I've like kind of like overcorrected. Um, now I spend a ton of my fucking free time, whatever that means. 
doing things that are are a hopefully productive and b meant to avoid whatever that state is and i yeah. think the state here is boredom that we're talking about mm-hmm. um and so i think it's caused me to like just harden the paint the other direction and sometimes that is anxiety and guilt producing mostly anxiety producing i suppose in some ways and maybe that's what you're talking about that then it's like figuring out of all of the available production or consumption things to you which one do you do and how do you prioritize and if this then that um, yeah, because like I'm, I'm at a point where it's just like, wow, man, work was really rough. I'm going to go work on red markets. And, and Sarah will point out, it's like, you mean the thing where we got death threats last week? And yeah. I'm like, yeah, that thing, you know, right. My relaxation time. Right. And like, that's the struggle. For that's me. not healthy. Because like, that's not, that's not, I shouldn't have done that. So then I'm just, but then I still rethink. I was like, you know what? The reason I'm having trouble writing is because I haven't, you know, consumed enough new art and inspired myself. And it's not because, like, I go home and work after work. <laughs> and, like, yeah, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if it's, like, fucked me up in the head or enabled me to be something that is fucked up but useful or just, like, is a better way to see the world. Because yeah. I'm, like, I don't feel like I'm more stressed than other people. People have lots of stress. Sure. Uh, despite that fact, like, yeah. I feel like I can handle it. So, uh, yeah, but I, it's just, it, it was not, it's not been an examined statement in my life until we started talking about it on the podcast, but something I just universally, like, acknowledged as a truth. It like, has been an examined statement for me. In fact, the, the, that I examined it is probably one of the reasons we're doing this because mm-hmm. there's like, well, I mean, you knew me when I was a college kid. There, oh, there God. Is, there is one of the laziest human beings I've ever seen. I own that. I mean, there is a 100% certainty that if someone proposed this idea to me when I was like 22, I would be like, uh, I mean, if you can squeeze it in during hours where I'm not already scheduled to not be doing anything. <laughs> also, that's all the hours I'm not in class or whatever. I mean, yeah. um, And then I'm going to skip class. <laughs> right. And then I'm going to skip those classes. Um, no, no, no. I, I have had to work myself out of a position of this is work time, this is non-work time, um, and really force myself to think about, no, this is, this is, this is productive time, and I want to produce things, work-related or non-work-related, valuable, non-valuable, because I need, at a soul level, to do those things, mm-hmm. at a conceptual, emotional, spiritual level, I need to do those things, as compared to, right now, I need to consume and I need to not do anything but consume. And I have worked to whittle down that consumption number considerably over the last couple of years because I was a fucking, um, I mean, I was a mess as a human in terms of just, that's all I did, I consumed. And uh, and from my perspective, that that was a fucked up way to live for me. Not to say that I had anything of value to produce, but rather to say that the production of nothing at all was not fulfilling. Yeah, and I'm at the point now where like part of my, con- part of my, productive need to do something rather than be bored is to do a podcast in which like we have four or five segments that involves with consuming pop culture right and so now i'm like well to produce i should watch more tv this week yeah and i'm like how fucked up is that no there's something valuable there there is something valuable in it but like i'm also no i'm one of a rare breed of people that's just like oh man watch the magician so you can hate on it more in a podcast this week Add that physically to a to-do list <laughs> yeah. because you're a psychopath. No, like yeah, human no. beings don't operate that way. It, it gives some things. It gives some <laughs> things that otherwise wouldn't have value. That would literally just be fodder or clutter. Yeah, it gives them some value. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that this kind of format has been so meaningful for me. It's allowed me to turn the consumption bit, which is still very near and dear to my heart. And while I've worked to whittle it, got down, a cheers out of the bachelor. Yeah, that's absolutely yeah, right. There we yeah, go. yeah, yeah. Um, 
Well, I've worked to whittle it down. I, I haven't eliminated it because I think it's very, very powerful and very mm-hmm. important. But I have found ways to make that stuff, which I think is important, meaningful, tangible, convertible, whatever you want to call it. So, frankly, kudos to us. And if you're listening to this, I hope that we are just the consumption side of your production side and that the yes. appreciation of the Mix 6 makes you do wonderful things with your quote-unquote board time, uh, regardless of what you think about my weird uh, Calvinist upbringing regarding <laughs> mental inactivity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Hallelujah. So this has been another Drunk Enough where I have a psychological confession on air. Uh, rather than paying a therapist. That's why they pay you the big bucks. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Add that to the notebook, everyone. Uh-huh. Uh, hey, if you've been listening to this, thanks so much. We really appreciate your support. Um, the fact that any of you listen, uh, some of you even write in and tell us how you felt about these things on Facebook, Twitter, our website, etc. We really appreciate it. And anything that you do for us is great things for us. So thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. If you're not already following us on Twitter, check us out at The Mix 6. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash The Mix 6. We've got a group uh, and a page. You can also check us out on YouTube now, where we're putting old episodes of Snippets of Adventure and some super cuts that some of you great people out in the world are doing of us mispronouncing beer names. It's just Maddie. Tasting all of the ones. It's just Maddie. Thank you, Maddie. One time. If other people would like to join Maddie, that would be great, but it's just Maddie. One time I sang a song on Snippets of Adventure. That's on there. All of that is cool. You can also check us out on our website, www.themixed6.com. There's a number of different paths to get to our content from that base of location. And finally, for those of you so interested in sending us things, games, olive oil, quote unquote, um, uh, beer, which is illegal, so don't do that. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Feel free to send that. <laughs> Maybe to, not add that part, the, the nudging and shit. I was just letting them know they couldn't do it, and I was okay, elbowing yeah, them to yeah. let them know that it was serious. Okay. It's Monty Python. It's referential. We're a pop culture I, I, I don't know Come on, Ross. Didn't you listen to any of that? <laughs> I'm not sober. Feel I'm free to send not. all of that totally legal material to The Mixed Six. 2131 West Republic Road, number 101, Springfield, Missouri, 65807. That is our P.O. Box. Bingo, bingo. Uh, Once again, thanks so much for listening. Thanks, as always, for your time. I'm Spencer. I'm Caleb. This has been The Mix 6, and we'll see you next time. And when can we start talking about our theories about what Bright 2 is going to be about? Shut it down. Turn it off. I'm plugging my... (laughs)